0: Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for you today is that the message you hear will encourage you and inspire you to walk closer with Jesus this week. We spoke of temple talent time. Now we're speaking on the last T, and that is treasure. Turn to your neighbor and say, treasure. 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 The question I have for us today is, how do we honor God with our treasure? And most times when we're speaking about treasure, a lot of times we're speaking about finances. We're talking about money. And this is where you probably might get a little bit uncomfortable. But I believe that God does care about what you do with your money. He does care. Uh, It is important because uh, Jesus said something, and I'm going to mention it later on in the message. But he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can look at your checkbook and you can see, if you still have checkbooks, you can open up your bank statement, and you can look to see where you've been spending your money. A lot of times, that's where your time is going. That's where you're, that's where you're most invested. And so God does care about our treasure and our finances. So I'm going to speak to you today out of, out of a passage of Scripture that I really wrestled with for quite some time. I did not understand it fully. And uh, continued to ask the Lord for prayer and wi- or through prayer and with wisdom asking the Lord to give me some revelation, and I believe that it's, uh, this, passage, this passage will illuminate to us this foundation of what it means to honor God with our finances. So we're going to jump into that this morning. And honoring God with our finances simply means this, that we're showing our trust in Him by giving. We are trusting God by giving. A lot of times that is demonstrated through tithe, or the word tithe means 10%, literally 10, 10%. And so by giving our 10%, we are believing that God can cause a greater increase than we could ever if we held on to everything. This is what it means to honor God with our, our tithe and our giving, but also He cares about our stewardship of the stuff we have left over. Sometimes when we give our 10%, we like, say, look, I've given, I've done my part, now with the 90%, I can do whatever I want to. God has no say over it. No, I believe that God has say over everything. I believe that God does care about it. There was, a, there was a, a quote by a pastor and author, Pete Wilson, not the old uh, governor of California, if you guys remember that, not him, uh, but another author and pastor who said, Tithing is to our finances as Sabbath is to our time, where we are honoring God by saying, Lord, I believe when we take a day of rest, I believe when I rest from my work, you will bring the increase that I cannot. Tithing is also that saying uh, it displays the same trust in God that when I give to you, you can bring an increase when I have less. But tithing is only the beginning because Psalm 24, one says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, meaning that everything belongs to God, including the 90% we keep after giving our tithe. And so if everything belongs to God and he has called us to manage it well, what we do with it matters to him. And it matters what we do here on earth to help us Find out what God desires. I'm going to speak to you out of Luke chapter 16, the parable that Jesus tells of the dishonest manager. So if you, are, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 16. If you're following along, Version Bible app you can have on your phone or on an iPad. You can follow along there. Click on that. You can click on the more tab and events and you'll find Central Valley Church. Click there and you have all of that there. Now, right before Jesus tells this parable of the dishonest manager, He tells the parable to His disciples of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. So, He has this in a framework of something being lost and being found again, and what we treasure through that. And then He tells this parable starting in Luke 16, verse 1. He says, He also said to His disciples, There was a rich man with a manager, and charges were brought against this man, wasting his possessions and he called the manager and said to him what is this that i hear about you turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager so i'm going to stop right there there's obviously there's a wealthy man so wealthy that he has to put somebody else in charge of his books somebody in in, in charge of all of his wealth and this is a manager who's supposed to be running this business and this wealthy man Here's these rumors being spread around that this manager wasn't managing well enough and he wasn't growing the master's business. And now he had to turn in all his books and all of his records because he was getting fired. In verse 3 it says this, The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. How many dig holes? You're strong. The Bible just said it. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I have decided what I will do. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning the master's debtors, he said to one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down and quickly write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said, Take your bill and write eighty. So this dishonest manager calls the master's debtors to him and, debtors to him and says, hey, you still owe them, let's slash your bills, some of them even in half. And doing this, he thought, when I'm out of a job in the future, these people will take care of me because I'm taking care of them right now. Are you following me? But here's the crazy part of this whole parable and the story that always got me confused. It says in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. So let me explain some things because we're missing it a little bit. Because I question why would the dishonest manager commend dishonest master commend the dishonest manager for undercutting his profits so much? There's some historical things that we're missing. The first thing is that shrewdness defined means having or showing sharp powers of judgment or being astute. Some of the synonyms for shrewdness is sharp-witted, smart, acute, intelligent, clever. Perceptive and wise. So why would the master commend the manager for being wise when it appears that he undercut his profits substantially? Those of you who own businesses or have employees, would you do this? If somebody started giving your stuff away, you'd be like, bro, that was, wa- that was the wisest thing you've done. Absolutely not. How many of you who are working and you started doing this, your boss would come to you and be like, sister, that was amazing. Thank you so much for cutting my profits in half, right? Why would he do that? Well, part of this parable was hard to understand because we're missing some historical context. Jesus seems to be appear, appear to be telling us, do as this dishonest manager has done. And it, I don't know about you, but it confuses me. The first thing that we under, need to understand through historical context is that in Jewish law, they were not permitted to charge interest to their fellow Jews. So to get around this, they would tack on additional cost to the item, uh, to the price of the item so that they would recoup the loss of interest that they would have gained if they weren't selling to another Jewish brother or sister. So they were already stacking up higher the margin so that they could gain some more funds. Additionally, managers, we understand, like tax collectors of the day, would sometimes charge extra on top of what their masters had put on it of the goods being sold, so that they could pocket it themselves. If they were the ones setting the prices and the manager said, this is $100, they would say, it's $125, and the the $25 would go in their pocket, the $100 would go to their master. They did this quite often. So the additional cost added by the manager may have been why he was getting fired. The master might have looked at the books and said, I see all of these finances coming in, but... But where's my portion of this? You said you sold it for X, but, but my customers are coming to me and saying, you're selling it for Y and it's not adding up. You're not doing this while well. now you're getting fired. The master would have been able to see the extra charges somewhere that weren't being passed to him and pocketed by the manager. So that's why the dishonest manager was being fired. But why is he being commended for his cleverness? The money he cut from the debtor's bill was most likely his own commission. When he began to slash the prices on these these bills to these debtors, it was most likely he was cutting out his own profits, not hurting the master's profits, hurting his own for the purpose of securing friends in the future, people that would take care of him when he was out of a job. If this wasn't the case, the master would not be like, you're so wise. He would have said, fool, give me my money. So there was something that this honest manager was doing. He had foresight enough to say, if I sacrifice my own pocket money, my own commission, because I'm about to get out of a job, maybe these people that I'm trying to serve will be there for me when I'm down on my luck. Maybe there's something that I can do now that will help me secure something better in the future if I'm more favorable and deny what I want right now in this moment so that I can have something tomorrow. He would have taken that money out of, his own, out of his own master's pocket if he had slashed it any other way. And the master would have given him a more severe punishment, not a commendation. So my first point is this. The dishonest manager sacrificed his own monetary gain today to have a more favorable outcome for himself in the future. This is why Jesus continues to say this. For the sons of this world are more shrewd or more wise, more clever, in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Who are the sons of light? Followers of Jesus. He says, The people of this world are more wise when dealing with other people than sometimes my own followers are when working with other people. What is Jesus meaning when he says this? He's saying here, If a, dishonored manage, a dishonest manager can sacrifice worldly wealth to plan for his future on earth, how much more should we as believers take the wealth we've been given to invest in our eternal future in heaven. He's saying if a dishonest steward can have the clarity of mind to recognize when time is short, how much more should we as stewards of God's resources understand that our time is short here on earth and we have a heavenly reward if we are sacrifice what we have here on earth. Are you with me? Verse nine says this, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. That's a complicated verse. What is he saying here? There are two things that we need to point out. First, who does Jesus mean by friends? And second, what does Jesus mean by unrighteous wealth? Here are my thoughts. The first one is this, unrighteous wealth. The word that is used here translated unrighteous wealth is called mammon. In another part of this passage, it's just translated money. Not unrighteous wealth. It's just translated money. And we know that money is amoral, right? It's not immoral, and it's not moral. It's amoral. What you do with it defines the morality of it. So, so money is not bad. It's not evil. But why does it translate here unrighteous wealth? Because it's, there's only two types of wealth. There's earthly wealth and heavenly wealth. And if you put two of those up to compare it by themselves together, One is unrighteous compared to the other. Would you agree? So the unrighteous wealth he's talking about is just earthly wealth, money. And he says, if you will sacrifice unrighteous wealth to to gain friends that will welcome you into eternal dwellings, what does that mean? It means if you're willing to sacrifice money now, it's going to help you maintain a friendship. But what is the friendship that he's talking about? I believe that the friend that Jesus is talking about here is our Heavenly Father. Let me tell you why. The Bible makes clear that generosity pleases God. Do you know that? That when we are generous, it pleases God. Why? Because it is a part of His nature. He is is generosity. We know that because He gave us Jesus way before we ever deserved it or earned it. We We still don't deserve it or could never earn it, yet he has given Jesus to us freely. So generosity is his nature. So when we are generous, we look like the nature of God. It is pleasing to him. And I don't know about you, have you ever had a friend who, who never took interest in the things that you took interest in? They, in fact, ridiculed you for the things you liked? Was that a good friendship or a bad friendship? Was that a friendship that you were like, man, I can't wait to get around this person. They just make me feel so cheerful. Or they always make fun that I like to sew. What's, what's, you know, can't you join me in sewing? I don't like to sew, but I'm just putting an example out there. But when you have friends that also take interest in the things that you care about, your friendship grows stronger. Yes? When, when, when you don't, then it is a one-sided friendship. And... And then that person who is is trying to make the friendship last is doing all the work to try to make that friendship last, and it doesn't last, does it? What what Jesus is saying here, that our friendship with God doesn't have to be one-sided. If you care about what God cares about, you will be generous like God is generous. And when we are generous with the things that God has given you, then your friendship with God grows stronger. When you do the things that God is doing, then you are in in, uh, relationship with God, you're in communion with God, and your friendship grows stronger. Jesus, now he's done all the work in this friendship, but I don't want this to continue to be a one-sided friendship. Jesus, he, he died on the cross for us, he done everything that he can do for us, and I want to respond to him to let him know I'm interested in what he's interested in because I want to be a good friend to God. I want to be a friend of God's. where What he cares about, I care about. What he wants to do, I want to do because we're friends. I want to hang out with him. I want to look more like him. I want to sound like him. I don't want this friendship to be one-sided. In fact, the relationship with Jesus was never meant to be one-sided. I want to show him that I have interest in the things that he cares about. The Bible says... He cares for the widows and the orphans. He cares for the poor. He cares for those who are lost and undone without Him. He wants us to seek justice, the Bible says, to love mercy and to walk humbly in obedience with Him. When we do that, our friendship with God continues to grow. And what I do with my finances shows that I care about the things that the Lord cares about. And it helps me have a deeper and more intimate friendship with Him. I'm invested in what He is invested in. Why is that so important? Because Jesus tells us later on that you cannot serve God and money. And a lot of times, especially in our culture, money, whether we know it or not, or whether we're willing to confess it or not, money is the thing that we continue to aspire for. It's the thing that we want most of all. And God is saying, I know you say you love me, but your actions do not look like it. And your finances are, you're doing everything else with them and saying you want to be in relationship with me. Let me help you have a shortcut. Understand how to grow in relationship. Start doing the things that God wants you to do in your life. And part of that is looking for ways of being generous. Jesus says in Matthew six twenty, to place your treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and where the robber cannot break in and steal. Do you know the Bible talks quite a bit about receiving rewards in heaven based on how you live here on earth. Rewards that will last for eternity. So what you do here on earth determines the rewards you have for eternity. These are the treasures that Jesus is talking about. Paul says it, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, at the end of his life while he's in prison and he knows he's about to die, he says this to Timothy, he writes, I have fought the good fight, I have won the race, I have kept the faith, and now the prize awaits me, a crown of righteousness that Jesus will award me and all that have longed for his appearing. John, when he's, he's, he's isolated on the island of Patmos, he's over 90 years old, and he writes this in 2 John 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, To endure to the end, that you may not lose what you've worked so hard for, to receive the full reward. Can I tell you? That Your salvation is not a reward, it is a gift. Rewards are earned, gifts are freely given. So he's not writing about, and Paul's not writing about your salvation because it's something you cannot work for. He's saying, don't give up, endure to the end. You work so hard, don't forego the prize that you're going to receive in heaven. So he's not talking about salvation here, he's talking about a gift that is waiting for you. A reward that has been given to you. Why is it important to receive a reward? Why do we want to store up rewards and crowns of righteousness in heaven? Why is that important? Some of you are like, man, as long as I get in, I don't care about a reward. Well, I don't want to get to heaven smelling like smoke, going through the hardship of fire, and just barely make it in. Because the Bible does say something about what we will do at the feet of Jesus when we're in heaven for eternity. In Revelation chapter 4, it talks about coming and seeing a a multitude of people. It says, casting their crowns off of their heads and laying them at the feet of Jesus, saying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. And I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I want to have a crown to lay at the feet of Jesus. I want to have something to give to him. There's nothing in this life that I could ever give to him, but I want to serve him so that I can receive rewards in heaven. Not to hoard for myself, but to cast at his feet because he's worthy of it all. I don't want to get to heaven empty-handed. Our material wealth and our goods and our cars and our houses and all of these things we cannot take with us. But Jesus said, store up for yourselves rewards and treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. Those are the treasures you will lay at the feet of Jesus. And I want to cast my crowns at the feet of Jesus. So I want to honor him with what I have now. Being a good steward of my time, my talent, my treasure, my temple. So that I can lay them at the feet of Jesus when I get to heaven. Say, this was for you. I didn't give up. I ran the race. I won the race. I fought the fight. I've received the prize. Not so that I can walk around heaven. I don't think people are going to do that. People are not going to strut around heaven with all their stacked up crowns. Be like, bro, I owned on earth, right? They're not going to do that because they recognize the King of kings and the Lord of lords for who he is. And I I believe that people are going to be lined up waiting to throw their crowns at the feet of Jesus. And I want to have a crown. Do you want to have a crown? To cast at the feet of Jesus? Then he says, be a good steward of the things I've given you now. Be a wise steward of the things I've given you now. This is why, after this parable, Jesus tells these words to his disciples. Verse 10 One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little will also be dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, meaning your material wealth, meaning your finances, Who will entrust you with true riches? True riches are those that are in heaven. If you can't be trusted with your money and what you're doing with it now, how can he trust you with eternal rewards? If you're unwilling to be a wise manager, a wise steward, verse 12 says this, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either You hate one, you love the other, or you are devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What are you investing your money and your time in today, church? Every dollar represents time and energy that you use to earn it. Your time, your diligence, your hard work represents the money in your hand and in your pocket and in your bank account. So when we waste our money, we're wasting our time and our time is something we can never get back. We have to recognize that our time is short like the dishonest steward and invest in our eternity. And I believe, honestly, I believe that everybody in here today wants to be wise stewards but you don't have the tools necessary or the space available in your budgets to give any more than you're doing right now. I can talk about money And being wise with it. But if you're strapped, you're strapped. If you don't have it, you don't have it. And so this word might sound condemning. And it is not. I want us to be wise about what God has given us. And do the best with what we have. If you have a little, be faithful in a little. God will give you much. But if you're not faithful just with the small things, how can God entrust you with heavenly wealth? I want to give an illustration. And I'll move quickly. This balloon is like our finances. It's like our budgets. Okay? I don't know if I stretched it out yet, so it might be hard to blow up. <sighs> okay. Some of you are like, no, my budget's smaller. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we have, we have our budgets. And, and I don't know about you, but, you know, this balloon represents all the expenses that are in your budget. So when you got to pay your rent or your mortgage at the end of the month or at some point of the month. That's, that's money that's coming out, right? Then you've got, if you have a car, you've got maybe a car payment or you've got uh, insurance. You've got to change the oil, new tires. It costs money. You, you, we have to pay medical. We have to have insurance. Thank you. That costs a lot of money. I don't know. Who has kids? This, come on, you know. <laughs> kids cost a lot of money. They're always growing, always hungry, need new clothes, sports. Y'all pick one sport. It costs a lot of money. And then we're adults. We have wants. We want Starbucks every once in a while, right? Netflix. Prime. Amazon. Hulu. Who knew? Things continue to inflate our budgets, and a lot of us are maxed out. We feel like we're about to pop. We feel like, Pastor, I know that you say God wants to be wise with my finances and and be giving and generous, but... Look at me, I'm about to explode. I'm in over my head. I've got things that, there's so much things, and I I feel like I'm maxed out. Do you know, on average, Americans spend a dollar and 26 cents for every dollar we earn. Thank you, credit cards. That's how that's possible. We get maxed out, and we're at the breaking point, and then you hear a message about giving, and you feel like you should or you desire, and you want to, but you can't. I want to inspire somebody today that the ability to do this, to give and be generous the way that God has called you to, you have to create what's called margin in your lives. We live such packed out lives, such financially burdened lives with bills and obligations that we feel like we can't do anymore. But margin is the space between ourselves and our limits. Some of you are at your limit. And you need to create space between you and that limit. And that space is where God can move in your life. Just a little bit of space can create room in your life. So in relation to finances, margin is is the space between your income, what you bring in, and what you give out, what you spent, and your expenses. And we were never called to live life so overinflated and so bloated with expenses Burdened by bills and payments and debt that we can't afford. And when in reality, we've tied up the very blessing that God has given to us to bless others. Do you know that God has blessed you to be a blessing? But oftentimes we max out so much of that stuff that we've not created a margin in our lives. And we have used that blessing for ourselves and for others. But the Bible says we are blessed to be a blessing. Now we need to first recognize that God has blessed us. That God has already given us everything that we need. And one thing that we need to do as a church is to break a poverty mindset. <laughs> Say, Pastor, I don't have enough. I don't, I'll never have enough. I'll always be poor. I'll never be able to make it. No, that's not true. If you have Jesus, you already have everything. That you need, you serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? He owns it all. Do you understand that? That your bank account does not reflect your wealth. That God has provided for you and will continue to provide for you. So never think you don't have enough or you're not going to make it. Bind that thing in the name of Jesus. Because God has given you more than enough through his son Jesus. That has to be the first part. If you have those thoughts, repent of it. Say, God, forgive me for thinking that you wouldn't provide for me or that you're not a good father. He says in his word that his children will not be seen out on the streets begging for bread, that he'll provide for you. You're blessed. You're blessed. And when you create margin in your life, you're able to see blessing in your life. When our budgets, come on, when you have financial woes, that's all you think about. It's like you're walking around with a balloon walking in front of your face. Oh, Pastor, I'm not blessed. I'm not blessed, Pastor. I, you know, I got so many bills and so many things. The problem with this is you can't see other people and their needs because you're consumed with what's in front of you. And that's not bad. That's just life. It's, it's life, but God is calling us to a place that's higher in Him. And He wants us to create margin, To break away from the breaking point and allow him to move. Some of you are gonna sound like that after this message. It's painful to let some things out, let some things go in your life. But I gotta see that Netflix special. But my barista knows my order. But Amazon Prime is so fast. What am I going to do without these things? You're going to create space for God to move. Even $10, $5, here and there will create margin in your life so you can have some breathing room again. So that when God says, son, daughter, that young lady in front of you at the the checkout stand, holding that baby who's fumbling through and trying to figure out how she's going to pay for her groceries, I want you to cover that. And you can say without a doubt, I have room in my budget to cover this so I can be a blessing because you've blessed me. When God says that person out begging, don't just give them your change. Take them and and buy them some food and love on them and remind them that they are a child of God too. You can say, don't worry God, I got this because I've created margin in my life so that I don't feel so maxed out. There's room in my balloon so I can love on somebody today. But when we max out and we think, I can afford that, I can afford more, I can afford more, I can afford more. We're taking the blessing out of our hands that God has given us. And he wants us to be wise stewards. I want to give you four points very quickly. That when we create margin in our lives, this is what it does. The first one, margin allows us to respond. Say respond. When God directs. We can't respond to God's direction to bless others financially or to give give to them when we're at our breaking point. The next thing is margin creates opportunity. Say opportunity for God to use us. We are blessed to be a blessing so that when, uh, when we use what God has given to us financially on things that don't matter in the light of eternity, we can rob ourselves and, 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 and take our priority off the thing that God's calling us. It's nice to have nice clothes, and it's nice to have the latest iPhone or latest technology, but those things are already going to be out of date in six months anyway. But if we can invest for something that's stored up in eternity, it lasts for eternity. It never gets rusty. It never gets old. It never loses its usefulness. But what we buy here on earth and what we spend our money on here on earth will eventually run out and, and lose its usefulness. That's just saying being mindful of eternity. Just be mindful of it and prepare and invest in eternity. Number three, margin frees us from obligation. Say obligation. Obligation. Debt is an obligation. If you don't pay your car payment, what happens? They take it from you. You are obligated to pay. You know, when you have student loan debt, well, they're trying to change that now, but used to when you went to school and you paid for it through student loans, you had to pay it back. I think you should still pay it back. I'm still paying it back. I'm trying. It's, a, it's an obligation. I'm obligated to pay. When you use your credit cards, you're obligated to pay. You're obligated. But margin creates freedom from obligation. Saying, do I need this? Nah, go back in my pocket. I'll say, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> it frees us from obligation. The last one, number four. Margin gives us, a, uh, gives us a place for God to move. Say move. Margin gives a, a place for God to move. Just like the balloon, when it's maxed out, your finances are, there's no, there's no space in them anymore. You can't allow God to move or to pour out more blessing upon you. Because he's like, if I can't trust you with the little, how can I trust you with more? I can't, I can't continue to pour out and bless you more and more and more when you're just going to make your balloon bigger and bigger. Give it away to others. We have to let some things go to free us up, free our finances up for God to move in them. It can start with baby steps. It can say, not Starbucks every day, maybe every other day. It's like, I don't need that, 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 that new design or that, that new rug or, or, or whatever it might be that's enticing you to spin now. Denying ourselves. This is what it means, denying ourselves. We've been fasting for 21 days. We've been denying ourselves, creating space for God to move. We don't just do it in one aspect. We do it in four aspects of our lives. Have you seen it over the last four weeks? Creating space for God to move in our bodies when we deny ourselves. Creating space for God to move in our time when we say, I'm going to take a day of rest so that I can spend more time with you every day. Giving God our talent and our abilities to to allow Him to move in us space so that we can bless others, others with things that God has given us. And our treasure, we're creating space. We're making space. Jesus said in verse 11, If you can't be trusted with earthly wealth, how can I trust you with heavenly wealth? So I believe we want to be good stewards of the finances God has given us. To be wise managers, meaning creating margin. I want us to be a church that has an eternal perspective because having an eternal perspective will affect our earthly priority. If you're going to write something down, write this down. Have an eternal perspective because it will affect my earthly priorities. When I can think more about heaven than about my temporary wants now, it will shift what I do here on earth. If you're paying attention The four things that I said that margin does allows you to respond, creates opportunity, frees you from obligation, allows God to move. Those four things make an acronym, spells room. Creating margin gives room for God to move. Denying yourself, creating margin in your lives, makes room for God. It gives Him room in our finances. It gives gives Him room to free us from unnecessary burdens, and it gives us room to bless others. And that's what we want to do this morning. Amen? Give God room to move in your life. I've I've outlined the why, but now it's up to you to, to outline the how you're going to do it. That takes discipline. It takes reflection. It takes time for you to sit back and say, okay, God, I take your word seriously. Sit down with your finances. Sit down with your spouse, significant other, someone else who is Maybe helping you with your budget and look down and say, What can I do to create room for God to move? This is not a message that says, Give all of your funds to the church and God will bless you. I don't think you've heard that this morning. The message is this honor God with your giving and create room in your budgets to bless other people when God says, Do it, because He wants you to do it. He wants us to be light in dark places. And your generosity will help spark the light in you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. That would help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the mission of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.churchcenter.com for more information. We love you. God bless.